uh, had the privilege of being over at Blues Creek this morning, and uh, they appreciate the fact that you allow not only myself, but several other guys to go over there and uh, preach and fill pulpit for them. So um, last week, Randy was supposed to go, and he got called into work. So I had to do his sermon plus my sermon. The last time I did those uh, two passages, I took three weeks at an hour a week, and uh, I had 25 minutes <laughs> this morning, so that was a lot of fun. But uh, So here we find ourselves in Romans chapter 16. Uh, Chuck has asked for a prayer for a friend named Zach that is recovering in uh, the hospital after a, an accident. So let's go ahead and pray. Instead of reading 16 verses of names at the beginning like I normally would, uh, we'll just kind of go through it as we go through it. So let's pray. Father, as we come this evening, we thank you for your love, for your care, for the way uh, you have provided uh, not only for our physical needs, but also for so many spiritual uh, situations in our life. We recognize, Lord, that as you have said, without you, we can do nothing. And you have changed us in such a way that we truly want to do the things that uh, you have for us. So uh, open our eyes, give us grace to see the things we need to see. And Lord, where we need encouragement, that you would encourage us. Where we need conviction, that you would convict us. Uh, we do think of uh, Zach and would ask, Lord, that you might work in his heart, uh, knowing that his body needs healing, but even more than that, his spirit needs healing. So pray, Father, that you would uh, open his eyes and his ears to the truth of the gospel, that he might come to you uh, in full repentance. Thank you now for this time together. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Okay, we uh, find ourselves in Romans chapter 16, verses 1 through 24. Uh, let me read the first two verses, and we'll get started. Uh, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church in uh, Sencrea. Uh, so you should welcome her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints, and assist her in whatever matter she may require uh, your help. For indeed, she has been a benefactor of many, and of me also. So, uh, notice the title, Love for the Saints. Uh, Paul starts out with a commendation. He says, I commend to you Phoebe. Uh, Phoebe's name basically means bright and radiant. Um, Lynn's name means refreshing spirit. And if you know my wife, she's a refreshing spirit. My name means noble and intelligent, so I missed out on the noble. What can I say? <laughs> oh, but uh, Phoebe's is bright and radiant, and uh, she is of the churches in Sincrea. This is a neighboring port city of Corinth, and uh, she probably, uh, the church that she was serving at was probably a church that was started by the Corinthian church. And it's uh, from where he wrote the book of Romans, or we call it a book, it's a letter. And uh, Phoebe ends up also being the one who delivers the letter uh, to the church at Rome. So he has three commendations for her. First of all, he calls her our sister. He's recognizing her as a devoted member of the family of God. Um, it, it is interesting, especially with feminism and... Uh, the movement today where everything is racist. Uh, whenever you get those two going and just let them talk, it's amazing how silly they sound if you know the truth. And when you consider, yes, the New Testament is written by men, uh, to our knowledge, uh, every book written by a guy. Uh, some people actually try and give credit to uh, Priscilla for writing the book of Hebrews. Probably not, okay? Why? Well, what position did women hold in their culture? Um, and again, you can talk about misogyny and all that kind of stuff. The reality is, is in the first century, when you have the Bible teaching biblical truth about the role of women in the church and the family and stuff like that, it actually elevated the position of the woman quite a bit. When you consider... Uh, how Christianity has affected uh, the role of women in the family, 
uh, whether or not they should listen to their husbands. Have there been men that have tried to use the Bible to beat women uh, into a role that is uh, unbiblical? Sure. But has that been uh, what the Bible teaches? And at no point are you going to say yes to that. And so here we have this wonderful woman who is considered a devoted family, a member of the family of God. He also says that she is a servant. The word here for servant is diakonos, which is where we get deacon. It basically means an attendant, a waiter at table or in other menial duties, a Christian teacher and pastor. Oh, Technically, a deacon or a deaconess, deacon, minister, servant. It is a general term for servant before the creation of the office. So the word was being used before there was ever a deacon, uh, you know, deacon board or anything like that. In 1 Timothy 3.11, let me read that verse for you. It says, Likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things. Now that verse is speaking to the wife of the deacon. Okay? Do you know it doesn't say anything about the wife of the elder? Shouldn't she also be reverent and not a slanderer, temperate, faithful in all things? I mean, you would think, right? Unless, unless... This is actually talking about the female deacon, or as we say, deaconess. Okay? Uh, Notice the common interpretation, expectations of wives of deacons, but why no set expectations of the wives of elders? Uh, Could Paul have been speaking directly to the office of deaconess? Now, I'm asking the question. I'm not saying we should uh, change our constitution or anything like this. But we do need to recognize that there are women in uh, the role of servants in various categories, even in our church, and they should be recognized as servants, deaconesses. Uh, Maybe they're not coming to the board meeting. By the way, anyone can come to the board meeting. You don't have to be a deacon or an elder. We have to have so many deacons and at least one elder. Uh, Everybody's always worried, well, if I don't make it to the board meeting, will they have a quorum? Yeah. Yeah because Larry will be there. (laughs) Not this time. (laughs) Uh, But uh, very seldom do do Pastor or myself uh, miss a board meeting, or or Dave. Uh, But uh, we only need one of those. We need several deacons. And it's amazing how many of them can be either busy or sick at the same time. So that happens from time to time. But uh, I'm not suggesting that we change our constitution and have women deacons as an official office. What I am suggesting is women already serve as deaconesses. And when you look at uh, 1 Timothy 3.11, this is the kind of uh, the qualifications that she should meet also. Number four, uh, the early role of deaconess was to care for fellow believers who were sick, to care for the poor, to care for travelers, and to care for those in prison. Uh, I remember, well, it's for years, whenever we've had uh, visiting speakers or missionaries, uh, Ann and uh, Daryl Drum, uh, mind you, when that happens, guess who we call? Ann, okay? She, she knows if her house is going to be available. Uh, she knows uh, what, what room she's going to put in. Daryl's just sitting there saying, okay, you know, I need to make the bed. Okay, I'll do that. Uh, so... Uh, That's the idea of the uh, deacon in the early church. Uh, The church, though, Paul implored the church to receive her in in the Lord in a manner worthy of saints. Now, what does that mean? Well, let's look at a couple of passages in Matthew. Matthew 25, 35 to 40. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, and feed you, or thirsty, and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger, and take you in, or naked, and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick, or in prison, and come to you? 
And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. So when you look at uh, receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints, basically, how would you treat Jesus in that situation? Okay, uh, Matthew eighteen five to 10. Whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world because of offenses. For offenses must come. But woe to the man by whom the offenses come. If your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it would be better for you to enter into life lame or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet or be cast into everlasting fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is better for you to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes and be cast into hellfire. Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I say to you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. So again, as you receive a little child, that's how you're receiving Christ. So if you're going to receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints, it's like you're receiving the Lord into your home, that kind of thing. He goes on to say, Assist her in whatever business she has need of you. The word business there is pragma, which is where we get the word pragmatic, exactly. It uh, basically means a deed, an affair, an object, a material object, business, a matter, a thing, or work. And so basically, why is she in Rome? If you think about some of the things that Paul went through as he traveled around the country. There was always a concern with thieves, um, shipwrecks, things like that. And here she is going from down near Corinth all the way up to Rome. Any number of things could have happened on the way. Uh, Someone may have hijacked her chariot, uh, things like that. And so I'm sure she probably went with uh, some people that, uh, you know, on a, uh, with a, a bunch of people, uh, so hopefully there'd be some safety, that kind of thing. But apparently she's in Rome to do some business of some sort. And so Paul is saying, help her, assist her in whatever business she has need of you. And then uh, she also uh, is the one that carries the letter to Rome. So that lets you know that here she is given some of the inspired word of God to carry on this trip uh, you would that would seem to indicate that she's trusted by Paul to do something like that. So uh, the third commendation that he gives to her is she is a helper of many. The word helper here is uh, prostatus, uh, patroness, uh, assistant, or a, a succourer, which would be a helper. Uh, usually spoke of a wealthy benefactor. When we think of wealthy benefactors, let's just go across the river to St. Louis, and I believe there is a lead, uh, the, the district attorney, the prosecuting attorney, uh, who uh, had a wealthy benefactor to help her get elected. And of course, now she doesn't want to try people for crimes, which if you never have to worry about being tried for crimes, does that lower or raise uh, the crime rate? It raises it. Uh, We have the same problem up in uh, Chicago and a lot of other cities. Uh, There's this wealthy wealthy benefactor, someone who is providing financially for these people to get elected. His first name is George, and his last name is Soros. Um, He's not a citizen of the United States of America. He's a foreigner, and one wonders why we even allow money from outside of this country to go into any elections. I mean, we don't want those people affecting our elections, do we? (laughs) Okay, just moving right along here. That's the idea, though. A wealthy benefactor. She's a helper of many, and he says, and of myself also. For those of you that are watching at home, Mike and Sheila just came in. Mike, it's good to see you. Sorry you had to go through that. Uh, so 
All right, keep on praying for Mike. He's still recovering. He's moving a little slow, and rightfully so. Letter B, Paul's recognizing close friends, verses 3 through 16. Now, this is where I'm not going to... You can read it on your own. We're basically going to cover the things that need to be covered. He starts out by saying, Greet Priscilla and Aquila. You might remember back there in Acts chapter 18, verses 1 to 3. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, uh, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome. And he came to them, so because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked for, by occupation, they were tent makers. Now, one of my commentaries said that when you went into the tabernacle or the synagogue, not the tabernacle, but the synagogue, uh, people would sit, women on one side, men on the other, and they would sit basically according to what they did for a living. So Paul ends up sitting with the tent makers, and that's how he meets Priscilla and Aquila. Whether or not that's true, I don't know, but I can see people doing something like that. I mean, we don't want the stock exchange guys to be sitting next to the tent makers. What would they talk about? Uh, that kind of thing. Uh, so he goes on to say, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. And, and he expands a, a little bit of our understanding of how they did things together. He says, uh, they risked their own necks for my life. You know, I can just imagine Paul going off on some of the religious leaders at whatever city they happened to be in at the time, and Aquila and Priscilla coming alongside and saying, okay, Paul, that's enough, because you keep on talking, you're going to end up in jail, you're going to end up getting beat up or something like that. And who knows, maybe that's what happened. But he goes on to say, to whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Now, what he's saying there is, yes, they did something that saved me a hassle, and therefore I give them thanks. But all of the churches where they've worked, all of the churches are giving thanks for Priscilla and Aquila also. Okay? And then he says, likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Um, a strange concept for most of us, when we think of going to church, we think of coming to this building. Well, churches back in the first century usually ended up in people's homes. They may have met in the synagogue, uh, but the synagogue is going to be basically Jewish. Uh, so you might meet there to try and find some Jewish people, but ultimately Gentiles are going to come into that thing. They're not allowed in the synagogue, so we're going to meet at somebody's home. Um, who has a home that's big enough? Well, someone like uh, Phoebe might have because apparently she was a benefactor. She provided financially uh, for Paul's ministry. Um, but most people in a, we'll call it a third world situation, their homes are not that big. When I was down in Brazil, Pastor Lindemar had uh, two boys and a girl. They had a two-bedroom home. And... Uh, his two boys make me look small. In fact, you could put Dave next to me. We might be about the size of one of these boys, and I've seen these boys walk on water. Uh, <laughs> they, they were in a boat, and they were fishing for piranha using chicken hearts, and uh, as the boat took off, they had all the weight in the front, and so the boat went like this. And these two boys were so afraid of the piranha that they started running, and literally, it's, it was like watching a cartoon where they're, and they stayed on top of the water for a little bit, and then they went, <laughs> the guy that was actually driving the boat, you know, he just swimming, no problem at all. We were down in the Pantanal, but they were big boys. So here you got a two-bedroom home. Mom and dad obviously have their own bedroom. Now you got three kids, two of them being large, okay? Uh they slept in the living room, on the couch, uh, or on the floor. And Tatiani, I think she got the, the bedroom. Uh, the reality is, is a lot of people live like that. Now, let's have church in your home. Where are you going to put them? 
Uh, thankfully, Brazil's warm enough where you can go out on the back porch and spread out. Uh, you got to find a way of sitting people down, wood benches on or wood boards on top of concrete uh, blocks and things like that. But you make do, and that's basically what they did. So he's saying, uh, likewise, greet the church that is in their home. Uh, number two, greet my beloved uh, uh, Epinetus. Uh, I don't know how to say that. Who is the first fruits of Achaia in Christ? So in that whole region, apparently this is the person that trusted Christ first through the ministry of Paul uh, and his group. Uh, he goes on to say, Greet Mary, who labored much for us. The word labor there is kapiao, to feel fatigued, to work hard, to labor, to toil, to be wearied. So here's a person in the church that is about the business. Um, we're talking in an elders meeting yesterday about the possibility of a work day. Uh, we have that list of things. People have signed up for it. Well, when, when do they need to get it done? Most people don't know. So uh, apparently there would have been an announcement this morning basically saying, hey, you know, get it done in, by April 1st. You know? um, but if you don't, we're going to have to have a work day. Well, what do we do on work days? We count how many people don't come. Oh, did I have to do that? Sometimes it's difficult to watch how many people in the church feel as though someone will do it, but not me. Ends up that nobody does it. Mm. Well, Mary, she didn't work that way. She labored hard uh, on behalf of Paul. Number four, greet Andronicus and Junia. Junia may be a woman's name. Uh, he says, my countrymen and fellow prisoners. Uh, they obviously were Jewish, but there is a possibility that uh, they, one of them, at least, may have been part of Paul's family. And he goes on to say, who are of note among the apostles. Now, that basically means that these people stood out not just to Paul, but to the other apostles. They knew of them too, okay? Uh, because they were about the business of serving the Lord. Goes on to say, who were also in Christ before me, basically saying they got saved before I did. And what's on top of that is they may have actually suffered some persecution under Paul. Because when Paul got busy, what was he doing? going around and arresting people and persecuting Christians and trying to get them to deny their Lord. Number five, greet Amplius, my beloved in the Lord. Uh, funny thing about Amplius is it was a common name among slaves. It's kind of like John. How many Johns are out there, you know? Um, and it may have been uh, a believer in Caesar's household. And, and the reason why they say that is apparently in some of the catacombs, there is an amplius with a, a real ornate uh, grave down there in the catacombs. And probably because he was a servant in Caesar's household. And Paul, of course, makes uh, reference to some people in Caesar's household having come to know the Lord. Number six, greet Urbanus and Stachys. Uh, I think that's a restaurant in the south. I'm not sure. Um, but uh, Urbanus was a common Roman name, possibly indicating that he was a Roman citizen. Uh, he is described as being a fellow worker in Christ. Uh, Stachys means ear of corn. And it's funny, whenever you look up the names of people in uh, the... Uh, Strong's Dictionary, it says Stockies, a believer found in Romans 16, whatever verse. Like, it doesn't tell me what his name means, but commentaries uh, bring that kind of stuff up. Um, you know, the weather today, it isn't going to be long before we're going to be eating sweet corn. I don't know about you, but sweet corn is good. The biggest problem I have with sweet corn is I used to sell sweet corn at one of those roadside stands. And we would sell a baker's dozen of ear of corn for a buck. 
And now I think they cost like a buck a piece. I really struggle with that one. And my wife goes, you can pay for it. So, uh, yeah. Uh, so here, Stockies, his, uh, his name means ear of corn, and he's called Beloved, just like we love eating sweet corn. Uh, apparently, this guy rubbed off on Paul, and Paul really liked him too. Number seven, greet Apelles. Uh He is approved in Christ. The word approved there is dokimos, tested and acceptable. By the way, this is something that is expected of people who are going to be elders and deacons. They need to be tested. Okay? Tested meaning they are going to be given opportunity to show that they can do the work. That they're not going to be like John Mark who, as soon as it gets tough, they quit. Uh, again, you guys know I do a little bit of TikTok and I am surprised at how many times I'll see someone on TikTok Live, uh, ex Christian, ex pastor. I'm sorry. If you're an ex pastor, ex Christian, you obviously weren't tested to be proven that you can put up with it. Um, and, and if you were tested, you obviously failed because here you are bragging about being on the, hey, I'm John Mark. I was out there with Paul and Barnabas, and I left because it was tough. Can I tell you something? It's tough being in the ministry. When I was a part-time youth pastor, I could go to Sears and make some sales and make some money and feel good about myself because the ministry at times is difficult. And then I became a full-time youth pastor. And I used to tell people, Man, Satan sends a whole different set of demons after you when you're in the full-time ministry because there's no going and doing something that'll make you feel good about yourself. There's just seemingly failure and stuff like that. And uh, so uh, Apelles here is approved in Christ. He was tested and acceptable. Number eight, greet those who are of the household of uh, Aristobulus, uh, possibly the grandson of Herod the Great. And again, that's not an uncommon name, uh, but at least the commentary I was using seemed to think that somehow they were related. Uh, Greet Herodian, my countryman, a kinsman, possibly family again. Uh, greet, greet those who are of the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. Now, apparently Narcissus is not a believer, but some in his household were. And so he's saying, greet those. And then he deals with three women. And again, for our feminists out there, uh, Paul mentioning three women by name and giving some description here would seem to elevate these women. Uh, They are not just barefoot, pregnant, and in the kitchen uh, type thing. Uh, Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, uh, who have labored in the Lord. This is actually in the present active indicative, which would indicate that they are presently laboring in the Lord. And then it says, greet the beloved Persis, who labored much in the Lord. And this is in the past tense, indicating that she's probably a little bit older and she's done her service, and now maybe she's training uh, other women, maybe these two, because they're actively involved in ministry. Number 12, greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother and mine. Now, I know some people have a problem with the doctrine of election, but the word chosen there means elect. Just like Ephesians 1.4, we're chosen from before the foundations of the world. Wow. Now, one of the reasons why that's important is because, look, if God chose you, when you got saved, you got saved. Okay? If it's left up to you, well, did you or didn't you? I, I know I, I uh, prayed the sinner's prayer. I, I read one of those chick tracks about a year before I got saved. And I was under heavy conviction because I knew at that time my life was not where it needed to be. And so I prayed that prayer. I mean, I prayed that prayer in tears. And then nothing happened. I had free will. 
I chose to accept Jesus as my Savior. And absolutely nothing changed. For another year, year and a few months. And then God got a hold of me. Boom! Then I got saved. I said the same sinner's prayer. In fact, I even thought to myself, I've done this before. But from then on, my life changed. Hmm. Now, I can tell you that I was chosen by God. And maybe the first decision was one of those things where you keep on choosing right and you get there type thing. But it was definitely His work that brought me to the place where I uh, trusted Christ. Excuse me. <coughs> Excuse me. So that moves uh, chosen in the Lord and his mother and mine. So apparently Rufus's mom uh, had a special place in Paul's heart. Uh, she had treated him like one of her own, and he uh, was appreciating that. Number 13, greet. Look at those names. I'm not even going to try, okay? Uh, You're welcome to afterwards, and I'll tell you how well you did. Uh, But we see, and the brethren who are with them, and then greet the next group of names, and all the saints who are with them. So basically now he's going down through the list of people that he knows are part of the church, and uh, there's nothing that stands out other than the fact that they are in the Lord. They're saved, Okay. Number 14, greet one another with a holy kiss. The church of Christ greets you. Now, uh, the standard greeting, uh, when you get outside of our country, you'll find that uh, there's a lot of different ways that people greet each other. There may be the bowing, like you see over in the Orient. Uh, Down in Brazil, uh, especially the women, they will do this to both men and women, but especially the women, uh, they'll come up to each other and... They'll do the little side kiss. Sometimes they'll actually kiss the person on the cheek, but very often it's just a kiss into the air. Whenever there are older people uh, for down in Brazil, uh, the young people will put their hands together and kind of bow before them. It's just a common, respectful greeting. So when it says, uh, greet one another with a holy kiss, uh, the standard of that day would have been to come up and maybe kiss each other on the cheek. And there was nothing sexual about it. It was just a, it like shaking hands for us today. And so uh, he uh, recommends that they do that. That brings us to uh, verses 17 through 20, where Paul gives a caution. He says, note those who cause divisions and offenses. Uh, the word for note here is skopetu, uh, to take aim at, spy, to regard, to consider, to take heed, to look at or on, to mark. The idea is to observe with intensity. And who are you going to be observing with intensity? Those who promote and practice falsehood and unrighteousness. Okay? We're not dealing with, well, let me go ahead and read the notes here. Contrary to the the doctrine which you learned. So notice, we're not speaking of minor interpretive differences or personal preferences. Um, Again, Larry's here, so we'll pick on him. Uh, Some people like the drums, some people don't. We're not talking about that kind of thing. We're talking about um, something like you might see in uh, Galatians where here's the gospel. False teachers have come along and said, oh, isn't that nice? You trusted Jesus. Now you need to be circumcised and you need to live under the law. That is contrary to what they had been taught. It was contrary to the gospel. So much so that Paul said, look, even if it's us that shows up and gives you a different gospel, Let them be anathema. Let them be cursed without any hope of salvation. That's how important this subject is. So uh, he is saying uh, you need to keep an eye on the people who are practicing and teaching uh, unrighteous stuff that I didn't teach you in the first place. It is something that's contrary to divinely revealed apostolic teaching. Again, Paul had to deal with this 
uh, in 2 Corinthians also. If you study 2 Corinthians, you'll see that Paul is trying to vindicate his own apostleship and let them know, look guys, you're my children in the faith. If anyone cares for you and you should listen to, it's me, not these other guys who didn't do any signs. They're just trying to take you captive with their uh, false belief system. So uh, he goes on to say, and avoid them. This is the negative reason, okay? Note those who cause divisions and offenses and avoid them. For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but they serve their own belly. Um, it, it is interesting. <coughs> Excuse me. When you think about some of the false teachers that are out there. Uh, recently, uh, watched a video of Rick Warren explaining that he had trained 1.1 million pastors. By the way, that's more than all of the seminaries in the United States. Now, those are his words. Kind of like, I'm sure he's had an influence on a lot of uh, men that are in ministry and now women. Because, of course, uh, Saddleback has now started to ordain women. And... Uh, I'm, I'm sure he's had an influence on a lot of people. But um, it's one of the biggest churches in America. What happens when you preach truth? It divides. Most people don't want truth. Now, we can feel good about ourselves because we don't have 2,000 people here. No, no, that's not the issue. The issue is, truly, most, well, the way to destruction is wide and crooked, and many are on it. The way to everlasting life is straight and narrow, and only a few are on it. So the whole point being is just because he has the biggest church ministry in America and has influenced a lot of people in the way that he believes doesn't mean he's right on. Now, I've listened to his teaching. He's got a lot of things right. And I'm not sure that there's any big thing out there, but they've decided that they're going to bow to the pressure of the world and we're going to ordain women. How does a woman become the husband of one wife? Oh, wow, that'll be next. <laughs> um, when you look at God's plan... God puts men in a position where they need him. Puts them in the position of leadership. By nature, men are a little bit more passive, rather be laid back, don't care much about other people. By nature, okay? It doesn't mean that a guy can't be caring, but normally, ask any wife. It's the women who are nurturing and care for uh, all the difficulties because their brain works that way. And so God tells men, I want you to do it because you're going to need me to do it right. And as far as there's neither male nor female, uh, Galatians 3.28, it's talking about salvation. Any man, any woman, any barbarian, any Jew, any slave, any free person can be saved by faith. Not talking about ministry. When we come to ministry, when it talks about the leadership in the church, it says men are supposed to do that. In fact, what does it say about women in the church? If they got any questions, ask their husbands. Why? Might make their husbands do a little bit of research and grow up a little bit. Hmm, got to wonder about that kind of stuff. Uh, whole point being is... Uh, uh, you got to watch out for those false teachers. They're more concerned with what they're getting out of it than serving the Lord. Number three, by smooth words and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the simple. And again, uh, simple doesn't, uh, isn't necessarily a derogatory term. It's just someone that's inexperienced, usually young, and, and they don't know uh, how to handle life's difficulties. And uh, so they're easy to convince. Uh, we, we look at the uh, revival in 
Asbury, and, and apparently is happening in a lot of different places, even in Christian high schools. I was listening to the radio on the way in tonight, and they were talking about it's happening in Christian high schools too. Hey, fantastic that these people are getting reoriented towards the, the truth of the gospel. At least one hopes that's what they're finding. But these young people are simple, okay? They're young and they're inexperienced in life. And uh, as we're praying or considering what God is doing, let's pray that God reaches their hearts, that it's something that sticks, that shows itself in uh, holy living and, and stuff like that, that the fruit is truly honoring to God and not just a religious experience that uh, a few months down the road, they'll be back to doing all the stuff that they've been doing, you know, that kind of a thing. So, uh, but yeah, the young are easier to flatter and deceive. Number two, for your obedience has become known to all. Here's the positive reason. The negative reason uh, to mark those that cause divisions is uh, they're, they're all about themselves. The positive reason is, hey, you have been obedient. Everybody knows that. And he goes on to say, therefore, I am glad on your behalf, but I want you to be wise in what is good. Philippians 4.8 says, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate or think on these things. Because the more you think about something, the more you become like that. That's why it says, set your mind on things above where Christ sits at the right hand of the Father. Uh, the more you think about Him, the more you're going to become more like Him. So be wise in what is good and simple, young and inexperienced, concerning evil. Uh, Matthew ten sixteen. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents, harmless as doves. Romans 12, 9, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. So notice uh, he's not wanting them to be ignorant or to disregard evil. He wants you to be innocent in the sense of you're not involved in it. Number three, and the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. And this is referring to God's permanent victory, which happens at the second coming of Christ. I always like the way God does this. And the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. It's only been 2,000 years. But again, when you're eternal... 2,000 years is yeah, a couple of days. Just not a big problem, okay? But uh, ultimately, that is going to happen. That brings us to letter B, uh, letter D, sorry, uh, Paul's companion. So he's been dealing with all the people that are up there in Rome, and now he's going to be talking about the people that are with him. So that brings us to, first of all, Timothy, my fellow worker. In Philippians 2.22, he says, but you know the, his proven character, that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. 1 Corinthians 4.17, For this reason I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. And 1 Corinthians 16.10.11, Now if Timothy comes, see that he may be with you without fear. For he does the work of the Lord, as I also do. Therefore, let no one despise him, but send him on his journey in peace, that he may come to me, for I am waiting for him with the brethren. Now, you can see a little bit of that fatherly concern for uh, Timothy. Uh, he mentions that uh, a relationship that he has with Timothy uh, in the two previous verses. And uh, the reality is, is, Anyone who has children uh, can understand how Paul would have felt uh, uh, about Timothy. Um, you love to see where they, they do good, they uh, improve themselves. Uh, you 
kind of feel bad sometimes when things don't go the way that they had hoped. But the reality is, is that's part of life too, isn't it? Um, and so they learn how to walk with the Lord in the difficult times as well as the good times. Uh, he moves on to Lucius, who is uh, a native of Cyrene. Uh, some have indicated that he might actually be talking about Dr. Luke at this point. Uh, I'm not going to jump there just because he doesn't say Luke. He says Lucius, so we'll leave that one alone. Uh, moves on to Jason and Sosipater. Uh, my countrymen greet you. Uh, back there in Acts chapter 17, verses 5 through 10, he says, But the Jews who were not persuaded, becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace and gathered a mob, set all the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, uh, most likely who he's talking about in uh, number three here, and some brethren to the rulers of the city crying out, These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Jason has harbored them, and these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, Jesus." And they troubled the crowd and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. So when they had taken security from Jason, basically, um, we're going to take some financial security, something that is yours. You're going to get rid of these people, and we're not giving it back until you do. Uh, When they had taken security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. Uh, so uh, that is Jason, at least. Uh, Sosipater, he's also called Sositer elsewhere uh, in the New Testament, uh, just someone that's been mentioned twice. He goes on to say, I, Tertius, who wrote this epistle, greet you in the Lord. So obviously, Tertius here is Paul's secretary. Um, At the end of uh, the book of Hebrews, uh, Timothy apparently is the one that uh, did the writing. Uh, He doesn't claim to be the author of the letter. He's the secretary. He's writing down what needs to be written down. Um, For those of you that uh, don't know, the gospel according to Mark is probably the gospel according to Peter, and John Mark was the writer, wrote down what Peter Uh, dictated to him. So that's the idea there. Uh, Gaius, my host and the host of the whole church, greets you. Another guy who is not only uh, having the church meet in his house, but uh, Paul is a visiting missionary and he's putting him up. Number six, Erastus, the treasurer of the city, greets you. Uh, What better place for a Christian? Uh, than someone who is watching over the funds of the city. Uh, Because then there's not going to, well, Lord willing, there's not going to be embezzlement uh, or anything like that. Um, And Quartus, a brother. uh, So then Paul gives his third benediction in the letter. The first one is in uh, 1533. Now, the God of peace be with you all. Amen. The second one in verse 20, And the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. And how he ends this section is, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Which is basically a repeat of the second part of uh, chapter 16 and verse 20. So you've got a lot of people here. And Paul is acknowledging how many of them, sending them greetings, uh, again, remember, Paul is still looking forward to, after he's delivered the gift to Jerusalem, he actually wants to go up to this church. He already knows a bunch of the people, okay? And uh, the people that are serving with him, they also send their greetings. So, um, there we go. Guess what? Was that? Nope. There's three more verses, <laughs> which we will hit next week and hopefully at least get a half an hour out of it. How's that sound? (laughs) Um, And then I'm thinking, I've got a variety of ideas as far as what we may do next, uh, but I'm not sure. I'll let you know when I figure it out.
How's that sound? It may be the 19th that we actually let you know what we're going to be doing, uh, but we will continue to uh, teach the Word of God. Any questions or thoughts? Yes, sir. Uh, for those that are listening online, uh, Pastor has really been struggling with his uh, vertigo lately. I mean, he was in my office talking to me, and all of a sudden, he, you know, hanging on to the walls because the world is spinning. Uh, so uh, uh, pray for your pastors, okay? In his particular case, you know, he's really old and decrepit and, and needs your prayers. Uh, <laughs> Sheila is shaking her head down here, Pastor. Uh, she doesn't believe you're that old, uh, but it's true. <laughs> but uh, your, your pastors are not young whippersnappers. And um, you have your spiritual uh, aspect of things that will beat on you. And then you got the physical stuff too. So uh, continue to pray for your pastors. Let's close in prayer and we'll let you go. Father, we thank you for the work that you do in the body of Christ. Uh, to be writing a letter today to the church at Edgemont Bible Church. We can imagine Paul talking about people that have proven themselves to be faithful by serving the body of Christ, whether it be by cutting down trees or uh, cleaning up the kitchen, uh, any number of possible things, uh, many people serving in our children's ministries. And uh, so we, we can imagine Paul talking about a, a variety of people here and we're uh, praising you for what you've done so that he would be able to do uh, such a thing. We do ask, Lord, that you might give each of us uh, grace to consider what you would have us to be a part of doing in this uh, uh, church. And I say be a part of doing because we're not looking for anyone to become the lone wolf, uh, to get all the glory. Uh, we're con talking about as a body, serving you and one another. We ask, Father, that we would be found faithful, that you would be honored and glorified because of the work that you have done in our hearts and minds. Thank you again for this. Uh, we do ask, Lord, that you would guide and direct us in our uh, time this week, uh, that we're away from this building, knowing that we're always a part of the body of Christ and always responsible uh, to our service to you in whatever we do. Give us grace to honor you in all. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. All right, have a good week. We'll see you, Lord willing, Wednesday night.